Okay, we've got some things that we're working on. Uh, right now, if you, you probably don't know this, um, I talked to our mayor this morning and he's checking in to see if we can legally uh, do a drive-in church service next Sunday for Easter. Um, and if we allow, are allowed to do that, we're going to promote it really heavy. And at 10 a.m., we're going to flood the parking lot with cars. We'll have parking attendants. Um, and then we're going to actually do our service from the rooftop and is what our plan is. So that's pending and okay with uh, local law enforcement. And then we're going to let you know... Uh, Um, If that can happen, and we're hoping it can. Um, And so anyway, if if that's something that you're interested in, just send something to our Facebook page and said, I'm in, uh, just so we know what to expect. If they give us the okay, if not, we'll do a normal service um, online. So, uh, hey, let's get into this. You know, this morning... Um, the kind of the word that came into my mind that a lot of people are dealing with, because uh, I don't want to answer questions that people aren't asking, and I don't want to deal with stuff that you're not dealing with. And what I heard was was uncertainty. That's kind of what's going on in our world. As just a lot of uncertainty. People don't know what's happening. They're hearing things. They're seeing things. Uh, what is going on in our world? Well, there's a lot of voices and there's a lot of theories. Um, I've heard you know a few pastors this week of giving their theories of what's happening uh, as far as where the virus is coming from and that it's caused by the five G networks. There's a lot of really weird, in my mind, theories that are going out there, and they all claim to hear the voice of God. Well, God told me, and I'm like, either God's confused or somebody's wrong, um, and I don't want to try to figure out something I can't understand. Um, I am not one of those pastors who's going to say, you know, God told me this is why it's happening. What I'm going to do is look at the Word of God and say, here's some of the signs of the times. I mean, things happen. I do believe that we are nearing the last days. Uh, what that means, I really don't know. What God's time frame is, I'm not certain because God has never said, here's my time frame. All right, so I'm not going to try to spend a lot of time figuring out something I can't understand. Um, we're going to go with man's theories. We're going to go with God's word. Um, we're going to talk more about that on this Wednesday on our, uh, our live feed on Wednesday night. So anyway, let's get into this. Uh, before uh, before the, uh, the virus happened, we were in a series called Determined, and, and I'm, I'm taking that back up today uh, because we do need to be determined to get into um, to God's word so that we can know that we win, and that's why I'm happy this morning. I've encouraged our staff to add hope and humor. Um, some things that we can do, whether it's a puppet or something that we try to be funny. We're just trying to bring something positive into a world that has so much negative right now. Um, so I'm going to restart the series called Determine. I want to tell you a little story that if you've been here very long, some of you know the story. Something that happened to me several years ago. We had planned a, a trip with some friends up to my parents' cabin while they were gone, and, uh, and it snowed really, really heavy. Well, I had a snowmobile, so I, I got about an eighth of a mile up the road, and it's about a mile and a half, and the snowmobile died. And so I couldn't get it started, so I thought, well, I'll just walk up. Well, as I started walking up, the snow got deeper and deeper and deeper, and, uh, and pretty soon it was up to my thighs, and it was getting toward dark. I was a little scared, and I was scared enough, actually, that I started writing the time and hash marks of, in the snow where I was at. Um, and I could see the cabin, but it was, it was so close yet so far. And only determination was going to get me there because I couldn't turn around and go back the way I came. Um, I had to make it. And so I was determined to get there. And the, the determination really starts in your mind. So being mentally determined to get through something is half the battle of getting through it. Determining in your mind that you are going to make it. Um, and the opposite is also true. Sometimes we hold on to things that we should let go of. Okay, we can be so determined to be right that we can end up in a wrong situation. We can be so determined to hold on to something we should be letting go of uh, that we can end up in a mess. And so the question for this point is, is what's holding on to you? And are you holding on to it? Fear will try to get in. Well, are you holding on to it or are you willing to let it go? 
Here's today's format and how I'm going to teach this. Many of you have seen a TV show that shows the predicament. They show somebody tied up or somebody wrapped up in something or something, you know, you know in, a, in a car wreck or something happens. And that's how they start the show is, is they show the predicament. And then they have a little thing that says eight hours earlier. And they, they want you to know, okay, how did the person get to this predicament? So that's what we're going to do today in this format. The suspense of the predicament and human nature wants to know how they got there. So I'm going to start out with a verse in John uh, 666, which is kind of an interesting verse. If you didn't pick up on that, John chapter six, verse 66, it says this, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer unfollowed him. If it was today's generation, they had a clicked unfriend. And so turn to the person sitting closest next to you and look at them and just say unfriended, unfriended. That is the title of today's message. So before we get into the why did they unfriend Jesus, I want to remind you that we really are living in the last days. Jesus told us in Matthew 24 that things are going to get worse. Um, but he also encouraged us to look up because he, he says your salvation draws near. And so as a Christian, that is really important for us to understand that, that the world is changing. Things are happening. We don't know what the time frame is because the Bible says we don't. Um, but I thought it interesting that I preached last Sunday on the, the famines and earthquakes and then we had one on Tuesday. So I'm going to talk about stimulus checks today. You might get one in the mail. It just might just happen. It might be more than, than you think, but maybe not. But I'm just going to go and speak it that way, because uh, why not, right? Matthew 24, verse 7, uh, we're going to start out there, because God knows how it all plays out, and I want to read you uh, what's happening here. Okay, on the, on the screen, I think it says verse 9, but I added a little more this morning. It says, nation will rise against nation toward the end times, a kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. It's not the birth pains, it's the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Now, we talked about this earlier with a friend of mine that, that we look at it as Americans. We think, well, this isn't happening in America, so we must not be close. Well, you, you got to understand there's other countries in the world besides America, and there's a lot of countries that are under severe persecution. Um, I, I read in a study that there's actually been a lot more people killed in the 20th century than in all the, the the centuries combined uh, for their Christianity. And so we know that ISIS killed Christians, you know, even with Hitler killed, you know, God-fearing people killed the Jews. So there's been a lot of death actually that have happened because of Christianity. So it's not just America he's talking about. And he says, and you will be hated because of me. At that time, verse 10, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. That's why you need to know the word of God. Because if a prophet speaks something that's contrary to God's word, then you know that it's false. Okay? Um, and because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, the love of most, not the love of some, not the love of all, but the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. In other words, if you're determined to stand firm, you will be saved in the end. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Well, we know that we have the capability now to preach the gospel in every nation, okay? Every tribe, every tongue, anybody with a smartphone, anybody with the transportation, we have preached the gospel pretty much in every continent, every island there is on this world. So what else has to happen? Really nothing. Everything prophetically has already happened before the end times. 
All right, so let's talk about this, all right? No one knows the day or the hour, okay? It says that. But God says, I will give you an idea. No one knows their DOD or their day of death, all right? Imagine if God told you this is the day you were born and this is the day you would die. How many people would freak out if you knew the day of death? I mean, you already worry about a lot, but if you knew what day you were gonna die, you, you would not rest very well at night knowing I only have X amount of days. So it's actually by God's grace that you don't know your death date, okay? Because many people would worry about it. And let me tell you this, not one second of this world's timetable has been out of God's control. And yet we act like it sometimes. Luke 21, 28, he says, when you see these things beginning to happen, lift up your heads, Lift up your heads. Now is not the time to hang your head. Why? Because we're on the winning team. Church, we are on the winning team. And when you're on the winning team, you don't have to hang your head. Who hangs their heads after a game? Losers. Is that right? However, however that is. Okay. That's who hangs their head. It's the people that lose. Well, we're not on the losing team. We're on the winning team. So that question I've been asking is why worry about something that God is in control of? You see, it's good to question your emotions. Are you anxious today? Ask yourself, why? Why, why am I worried? Well, what is it that's got me anxious? What is this that's got me scared? You know, we get scared, we get anxious when we kind of feel that we're not in control. When we're not in control is when we need to give God the control because that's what he wants. God is in control of this timetable, but only you can control your own heart. So we've talked about the physical symptoms, the things, the natural disasters, the earthquakes, the famines, the pestilences, all these things are going on. But today I want to deal with the condition of your heart because that's really what God is concerned. We can't control earthquakes. We can't control tsunamis. We can't control famines. Man thinks he's pretty big until a thunderstorm rolls. So man thinks he's pretty big until an earthquake happens. And, and it really is humbling to the human generation when God does what he does and no man can stop it. But one thing that we can control is the condition of our heart. You see, here's what I know about human nature. We get the shock factor for two or three weeks and then we move on. We have a thing with the coronavirus and everybody freaks out and buys up all the toilet paper. And, and you know, I think... 2020 will be known as the, the toilet paper stacking up, you know, hoarding the toilet paper. 2021 will be where do we put it all. So storage units will probably be full of it. All right. But here's what concerns me. In Matthew 24, 9 through 13, it, it, it says the love of most will grow cold. And that's concerning to me because I don't want to be one of the most. How do I not become one of the most? How do I not become one of the most? There's a story of a small town pastor who had a man who was pretty faithful to his church. Well, pretty soon the pastor began to see him less and less and less. And as winter time set in, it had been several weeks before um, the, man, the pastor had seen the guy. So he thought, I'm going to go visit him. So he went on this little visit, took his, his horse and visited the guy. And the guy, he knocks on the door and the man opens the door up. He's like, oh, pastor, didn't, I mean, I'm so sorry. I've now I have been here. I've been busy. I've been doing this. He had all these excuses as to why he hadn't been to church. And the pastor didn't even say anything to him about skipping church. So he invited him in and there was a fire burning and he offered him some coffee and just they had some small talk. And, and then the pastor got up and he walked over to the, the mantle and he grabbed the, the tongs and he grabbed a coal out of the fire and the guy was going, what in the world is he doing? And, and he sets the coal just on the, the concrete hearth and puts the, the tongs back and goes back and sits on the chair and the guy still has no idea what the pastor's talking about. And, and as they continued to make small talk, the pastor never did ever confront him or say anything about his church attendance. 
And as they continued to talk, the man watched the coal and it slowly, slowly, slowly burned out. And he looked at his pastor and he said, Pastor, I know exactly what you mean. Because when we pull ourselves out of the fire, when we pull ourselves away from God's house, when we pull ourselves away from the the thing that, that gives us hope, we begin to cool off. The love of most grows cold because the coal gets taken out of the fire. There's other things that are more important than our our church reading or our Bible reading or our prayer time. That is how we get coal. How do I not become one of the most? Well, back to the question of why was Jesus unfriended back in the book of John chapter 6. We're going to talk about why he was unfriended. So on social media, why does someone get unfriended or unfollowed? It's because the behavior or beliefs, okay? There's something you don't like that they do, and so you unfriend them, or they unfriend you if they don't like you. And where we left off um, in in our study in this determined thing was when Jesus fed the 5,000, okay? And where we're gonna pick up here, Jesus feeds the 5,000 people, he heals people, Peter doubts, okay, they get in the boat and the the winds are waving, and Peter says, if it's you, call me out. Jesus called him out, he gets his eyes off Jesus, he sings, Jesus saves him. Uh, The disciples stayed in the boat, which what Jesus told them to do originally. Now they land on the shore, and Jesus again is followed by the crowd. And now he's gonna call them out for their motives uh, because he understands why they're actually following him. So John chapter six, verse 24 starts here, says, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum and searched for Jesus. So they're searching for him. But when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered them. He didn't even answer the question. He says, I tell you the truth. You were looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He calls them out for what they're really doing. They weren't even after miracles, they got hungry again and they're looking to him to feed them physical bread. And he says this, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life for which the son of God or son of man will give you. On him, God the father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, well, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, well, the work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. He was talking about himself. Believe in the one he has sent. Not just believe that he exists, but truly put their faith in. And I don't know where your walk with God is today. But let me tell you this, if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says if we die in that condition, the hell awaits us. What is, what is so great about Easter next weekend? It's the fact that Jesus saw us in our predicament. He saw that we were bound for hell and he decided to do something about it. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you can do it right now. It's simply praying a prayer to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, to repent of your sins and ask him to be the Lord of your life. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That word believe means to put our faith in. And so they asked him in verse 30, well, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe it? They just must have forgotten all the miraculous signs he just did. Uh, What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven who gives life to the world. He's again talking about himself. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. 
He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of one who sent me. And this is the will of one who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up in the last day. For my Father's will... If you've been looking for God's will, here's what it is. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. Well, that last day, I believe, is is coming, okay? We're one day closer than we were yesterday. We see the signs of the times. I believe the day of the Lord is at hand, and I believe we need to be ready. So Jesus said that God's will is that you would come to him. God's will is that you would give your life to him and continue to serve him. And verse 41 says something interesting. It says, at this, the Jews begin to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Now, I know that, that nobody ever grumbles about what Jesus doesn't do for them, okay? We're gonna talk about that condition of the heart. In verse 51, Jesus, again, he says, I am the bread of life, okay? In verse 53, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Um, and this freaked out a lot of these Jews because you didn't touch blood. You didn't eat any meat that had blood. And so when he's talking here, he's using symbolism, but they're not understanding. They're thinking he's actually talking about cannibalism, about eating his flesh, drinking his blood, and And they were like, this is really, really weird teaching. In verse 60, they actually says this. On hearing this, many of his disciples, again, these are people that are following him already. They said this, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, how often do we look at God's word and we we, we give our lives to Christ and we serve him as long as he does what we want? But then he says, you need to stop this. You need to stop sexual morality. You need to stop getting drunk. And, and a lot of people go, whoa, this is a hard teaching. I thought this was just a salvation thing. But, but no, God says, when you give your life to me, there's gonna be some lifestyle changes. There's gonna be some heart changes. Why? Because the things that are taking you away from God that you need to quit doing. And they're saying, who can accept this? Well, the truth is way too many people follow Jesus because of what they think he's going to do for them as if the cross was not enough. I mean, why not follow a guy who can feed you and who can heal you? He can be your your cosmic vending machine and you ask him for things and he gives them to you. But when he doesn't do what you want, when he doesn't fix your marriage, when he doesn't get you that promotion, when he doesn't heal your body, when he allows things to happen in life, people simply walk away from him. I know so many people who have given their life to Christ, but they view God as God being existing to meet their needs instead of the opposite. You see, I want to live every day knowing that the cross is enough. The cross is enough. God does not owe me anything else. The world doesn't owe you anything else. And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Why? Because it was too hard. It was too hard. He was asking them to do something to give their life completely to him not eat his real flesh or drink his real blood. They just didn't get, they were understanding what he was talking about because their minds were, I believe, a little bit blinded. And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. He looks at his disciples, his 12, and says, you don't want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. 
who, as, uh, I'm sorry, who, though one of the 12 would later betray him. See, Jesus chose Judas even knowing that his heart wasn't right. And I can't explain that, okay? Somebody had to betray him, but Jesus believed, I believe, that, that there was possibility for Simon to turn if he wanted to, even though knowing that he wouldn't. See, for this crowd, okay, everything was great when, it was, when he was healing them and feeding them. All that was required was for them to show up. You see, for some people, even if God did everything you wanted, it still wouldn't be enough. Why do I say this? Well, look at, I call it the Eve syndrome. We look at Eve in the Garden of Eden. God gave them everything except one tree. And what happened to the one thing that he said you can't have was the very one thing that she wanted and they both took a bite of it. It's the Eve syndrome. Some people, if God did everything you asked, it still wouldn't be enough. Again, for this crowd, everything was great as long as he was healing them and feeding them. All they had to do was show up. But what they thought was required and what was actually required were two different things. And when you start giving people all they want without cost to them, they start expecting it. They start expecting it. We've had sometimes at the zone or after school program where parents would, you know, they let the kids come here and we offer this for free. It actually costs our church money. It's part of our mission uh, to reach our community. And it's a free outreach to the kids of our community. We've had actually parents complain about some things. And, and our leadership is like, do you realize we do this for free, right? That it actually costs our church to watch your kids. And it's amazing when you do something for free, people will still complain about certain things and we deal with it as best we can. But Jesus is telling them this. You're following me for carnal things and you're missing it. And anytime you treat Jesus like your Amazon account, you'll miss what's truly important. He's not a vending machine. God does not exist to do what you want. And yet many people think like this and that's how these people are treating him and that's why they left. If you only follow Jesus for what you can get out of him, you will eventually wander away. So how do we not be one of the most how do we not be one of the ones who fall away when the end times start to happen and when things get hard? See, to get through anything hard, you have to do this. You have to get up in the morning with a determination that you're gonna stay the course. You gotta stand fast. You gotta say, God, I'm gonna serve you even when I can't see you. God, I'm gonna serve you even when I don't get what I want because I already got what I need. That's how we have to live every day. How do I get cold? I get cold when I move away from the fire. How do I get cold? It's when I, I believe that I no longer need that. But the closer I get to the fire, the closer I stay to God, the warmer I will be. How does the love of most grow cold? It's because they get away from the source. God today is our source. He's our source of everything that we need. And today, we can't gather in a church building. We gather together online. We can still pray. We can read our Bible. We can, we can worship. We gotta stay close to the heat source in order to, uh, to not get cold. God, I'm gonna serve you even when I don't get what I want because I already got what I need in that salvation. Now, John is the only one who gives this particular account where Jesus uses the feeding of the 5,000 as, as bread and an example of what he came to do when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So how does this life happen? Well, we'll learn next week, we learn that it happens by his death and by his resurrection. And Jesus is saying, I'm gonna give my body to be beat and hung on a cross. I'm gonna shed my blood for you so you can go to heaven. Isn't that enough? So how to not grow cold spiritually? It's the same as the fire, you gotta feed it. 
Now, don't expect others to feed your fire for you. You alone are responsible. I'm really glad you're listening today. I'm glad you're tuning in, but I cannot be your main source of spiritual nourishment. All I can be is a chef that tries to make something that maybe is a little more than what you're getting on your own. I cannot be the main source of your spiritual nourishment, but only a supplement to what you're already doing. So there's three things that you need to do, and I call it PRW so that you can remember. PRW is pray, read your Bible, and worship. PRW, pray, read the Bible, and worship. Okay, my encourage you, and I'm gonna ask our, our worship team to come on up, is to hang in there, is to stay the course, okay? We are going to make it. And like I said Wednesday night, and hear me on this, okay, listen up, listen. You may not be spreading the virus, but you are spreading something. What are you spreading? Are you spreading faith or are you spreading fear? Kids especially will feed off of you. Keep your faith up. We live in exciting times. How close are we to the Lord's return? I have no idea. But one thing I do know, in a hundred years or less, most of us, if not all of us that are listening, are going to be gone from this earth. No man knows the day or the hour, just like no man knows the day of his death. We don't know our DOD, our day of death, or day of departure. We don't know that, but I do know that we live in exciting times. But I don't know is what close is by God's definition. It's been 2,000 years about since Jesus said this, so there's that. My wife said something the other day that I believe it's true to be heaven ready, to be heaven ready, to have some HR, to be heaven ready. I guess you could say that as a pastor, as our pastoral staff, that we personally work in HR. Our, our goal is to have you be heaven ready when Christ comes back. See, the biggest thing is to have your heart right with God at all times because we act like death won't come to us. And it will. We'll either die or we'll get raptured. Either way, church, we win. Either way, we will end up in a better place. Either way, we will shed this flesh and we will take on a new body like Jesus promised us. So don't be afraid of death. Don't be afraid of the end. Don't be afraid of the things that are going on. Why would Jesus tell us to lift up our eyes? Why? Because we're on the winning team. And if you're not on this winning team, if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to just lead you in a short prayer so that you can do that, so that you can make sure that you're heaven ready. If you would, repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. And I believe that you are the savior of the world. And I ask this in your name, amen. Well, friend, if you prayed that prayer today, we would love for you to let us know. Either send me a personal message on my Facebook or let our, our church know um, through our, our changelifechurch.com or through at gmail.com. Let us know if you made that decision. We'd love to give you some resources. If you need a Bible, uh, we could sure mail you one. And again, if you want the notes um, of these messages, just email our church, changelifechurch at gmail.com, and I can send you the full notes uh, of what I preach. Be happy to share that with you. So just email the church and, and just request the notes, and we'll get them sent to you. So Pastor John, if you would, just lead us in a, a closing song.